Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jero Taylor. And this is episode number 35 with Jay Standish, who is the co-founder of a company called OpenSpace.io. So it's OpenSpace.io. So OpenSpace is a fascinating uh, company and idea, and it's all about co-living. So they create modern, collaborative living spaces that enable connection, creativity, sharing. They're based over in the Bay Area, San Francisco area in, um, in the States. And uh, yeah, in this conversation, we really get into why communal co-living uh, works, um, how it can be a space for people to flow and collaborate together, and uh, yeah, his visions for the future uh, in this co-living space. So listen in, guys. It's a super interesting little 30-minute um, episode. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here with Jay Standish, who's the uh, co-founder of a fascinating company operating over in California called Open Door. Jay, tell us a little bit about, uh, about Open Door. Sure. We create community living spaces. Uh, can also call them co-living. And we really started the company based on our own interests in living with a group rather than in isolation. And the lifestyle that's possible when you're part of a tribe rather than just living your life as an individual. So we have uh, three properties around the East Bay and in counting and uh, I've been around for about two years and uh, just love kind of adding things into the system, whether it's food systems or guest systems, uh, events, and that's, that's kind of what we do. Cool, man. So how did you come to this, uh, this, this realization that living in, living in a group, living as part of a tribe is an awesome thing to do? Um, what, what, tell us a, bit, a little bit about your upbringing. Was it traditional or was it communal? Uh, my upbringing is relatively traditional, I would say. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, which is sort of a suburban area near New York. And like went to prep school and kind of put that whole scene. And, uh, but I, what I did have a chance to do was over the summers, I traveled in Northern Canada on like these 40 day canoe trips with 10 other dudes. And that was my first taste of, um, what it's like to be on an incredible team and to really be on a journey with people with a shared goal and to really have a sense of being in it together uh, because you physically could not go to the next goal without every single person coming there with you. Mm. Um, And yeah, there's that sense of the 10 of us being out there in the woods together and, you know, chopping down trees to make fires, to cook our meals and, um, the sense of bonding and camaraderie and, uh, and sort of mutual aid that happens is really mm. exciting. And it was just such a rewarding experience. Um, 
there were many years in my life, like sort of during, even during college, when, when most people have the sort of main communal experience of their life in college, I felt like kind of disconnected um, and was looking for something more uh, sort of structured and, and intentional. And, uh, and that's kind of where the next yeah. chapter began. Okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah. So, so basically, I, what are your thoughts around humans and the, the way we've set up, you know, in, in our dominant culture, the way we've set up our lives? I mean, let's talk about university. So my university experience, the first year, I was living in a dorm room. I had, a, I had one roommate, and it was all just sectioned off and partitioned off. And in my traditional upbringing, you know, you live in a house with your family unit. You know, very, that's very traditional. Um, do you think that that's how... That that's optimal for humans, or, or do you have another view on that? Well, if you look at human history, it's only in the last 150 years that the notion of the nuclear family in a single-family home has come into a dominant sort of position. Mm. Because even in sort of, if you look at um, England in the 18th century, you had these huge, even the, the aristocracy lived in these huge manor homes where like they'd have the, their whole extended family, but then also like for better or for worse, you know, 20 to a hundred servants living in this whole huge manor home together. So it wasn't just like, you know, the Duke and his wife and his two kids living in an apartment, um, <laughs> or living in like a great McMansion. It was like this in this 50 person community, um, that maybe didn't have the most egalitarian structure, but nonetheless it was 50 people living and sort of making a home together. Um, and then you see the industrial revolution and there's like tenement houses, which again, not the best like economic structure. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless results in, you know, in the order of 20 to 100 people living somewhat communally, um, yeah. but m more from a sense of being packed together. Yeah. Uh, but when you zoom back even farther in history, you know, we're really a clan-based species. We that, are. If you, if you look in, on every continent on Earth, you'll, yeah. you'll see extended families living together. This, uh, yeah. This whole separation, this whole nuclear family thing, as you say, it, it does seem like such a, a, a recent and kind of isolating development in our culture. Totally. I mean, yeah, because for millions of years, we were essentially, you know, n nomadic clans either roaming around a sort of geographic area and then eventually farming, but only in the last couple thousand years. Um, well, maybe 10,000 years. I'm not, I'm not the best historian, but, um, that's kind of our innate pattern. That's what we're used to. That's what we came, that's what we grew up doing as a species. And so, um, I think that people, whether they know it or not, are, are yearning that. And we have, it in, we have it in our DNA, don't we? Like, I, yeah, the amount of time you see people spending on Facebook, it's like, if you actually had social connection, maybe you wouldn't spend so much time on Facebook. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that. I, I get this yearning to just move on sometimes, and I, and I always attribute it to to my 
you know, ancestral nomadic heritage. And every now and then, yeah, I get it. I get the yearning to just hang out with lots of people and build shelters and fires and tree houses and all sorts of cool collaborative projects. Yeah. Um, and then I also get the urge to just spend time and retreat and just be by myself. And it seems to me like that's kind of like, that's my inner nature talking to me. That's like the, some sort of internal cycle that, that I just can't ignore. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, talk to me about what you see as the, the benefits for us in, in living as, as part of a community. Well, there's the first benefit is really what we've been talking about, which you could maybe say is like psycho, spiritual, emotional, cultural, um, where you're getting connection and you're, you're, you're feeling like you, your life is not just you as an individual. It can be really, it's a cold, hard world to be a single person making enough money to pay for your rent, pay for your food, pay for your transportation. Um, and to have a sense that there's, that you have a team that has your back is really comforting and empowering. Mm. Um, so just to have people there, I think is amazing. And then also like you, you, have dreams and ideas and projects together and um it's really a sense of chosen family i think um in our society at least in in the states people are actually really nomadic and um you know in the bay area here very few people are actually from the bay area people have family from all over the country and they've kind of landed here and so a lot of people don't have family to go visit on the weekend or during the week. Mm. Um, and so finding that group of 20, 20 people, um, who you, who are your adopted family, I think is really, uh, powerful. But so beyond that, I think that, that, that's the reason why we do it to yeah. begin with. Yeah. Um, and we try to find people who are in it for that same sense of purpose. Um, and also that there's, there's something, bigger that we're all working toward um whether it's the house itself or the broader kind of movement that it's not just about like sharing space and doing the dishes together it's <laughs> about what's possible um in much much broader than just like community living yeah but. let's get into that okay um i mean first of all i want to just cover off so what does happen around the nitty-gritty of things like dishes and cleaning and Stuff like that, because I know for like my girlfriend, for example, my fiance, I should say, um, she, she just we've got one flatmate right now, and he's a legend. But uh, sometimes, you know, you've, people have got certain standards, and other people have just got different rules and different standards, and through no fault of anyone else, that just might be a clash there. So, how do you guys deal with just that very basic kind of like uh, potential for friction? <laughs> Well, there each each detail has a different solution. So, in general, the broad swath is is sort of we've learned along the way what all the different pain points are, mm. and we try to design things to take friction out as much as possible. So, for the dishes, we'll have like a very clear policy that says like no dishes in the sink, no dishes in the drying rack either. So yeah. it's just like a very simple rule. It's just like wash, clean, and put away your dishes. Yeah. Um, 
And then for like cleaning, there's either like a cleaning service hired on a regular regimen or there's specific kind of cleaning tasks that different people take on or sort of a hybrid of those. Um, for food, we collect all of the, we do a full f- communal food system. So there isn't like 20 different spaces in the fridge with private food. It's just like the vast majority of food is all shared and is all ah, cool. kind of part of the house. So we collect food money from everybody at the beginning of the month and then distribute it back to the house to buy their groceries, which they then buy in bulk and from like, you know, local organic farmers markets and, you know, bulk stuff from the natural food store and stuff like that to try to eat as eat as healthy as possible, but also reduce grocery bills. So, and then also people have a fixed grocery amount every month, which is lower than what you might spend as two people just buying all your food from like an expensive Whole Foods kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and then you have a distribution of chores and responsibilities as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the name of the game is just like learning from experience, designing systems that are really clean and clear and discreet. So there's less opportunities for confusion and hurt feelings and stuff like that. Um, and then there's also sort of an intangible aspect of how to host and facilitate the energy or the tone mm. so that it just feels really positive and you're creating like an upward spiral culturally. And that is – I can't really put my finger on so much. It's it's more of an art obviously. Um, yeah, um, I, I guess that's a lot like of the people that you – yeah, the, the, the quality of people that you – that, yeah. that join right but do you have like certain communal or community events going on like is there a, a regular friday night thing do you guys eat meals together that sort of thing yeah i mean each house does does things a little bit differently but um generally speaking there's like a couple nights a week where there's a shared meal and so someone a roommate like there's sort of a rotational cooking schedule and roommate will cook for the whole house and then you know, say four nights a week on weekdays and then the rest of the weekdays you can just show up and dinner's made. Um, and you only have to cook like every two weeks cause there's 12 people living there. Um, nice. or three weeks even. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty sweet. You save a lot of time not having to cook for yourself Absolutely. every night. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, right there's there. lots of like home economics yeah. elements to it or that's what we call it in the States. Um, around just efficiencies in terms of time and money around the management of the house which yeah. is which is kind of cool what's and your what's your big up. vision uh, jay like what what like if you sort of jump 20 years into the future what do you see for for, for open door or just the idea of collaborative living yeah i mean the, the vision is a national or international network of spaces that are owned um collectively through a distributed network and sort of cooperative real estate investment trust that is regulated through like an online system where you're able to like update your account and change your debt to equity ratio and do all this kind of cool stuff um, in terms of collaborative finance and um, also a variety of spaces. So right now we're doing the co-living thing and there's a lot of other forms of community living that that would hit different demographics and different personality types um, that might have a little bit more private space or other places where you have like 
a dope music studio that everyone shares or another one where you have like a crazy workshop with like laser cutters and 3d printers and cnc routers and like it's all about um that kind of stuff and so having different shared resources that are that are part of the mix um yeah and i think we're in the process of sort of proving out co-living as this new real estate uh product if you will Mm. Uh, and so as that kind of gets stronger and stronger there's a lot of opportunities for doing ground up development of creating like new buildings um entirely built specifically for community living and um complimentary man super exciting yeah totally i'm just on your website and i'm looking at 1532 harrison street um i'll put the link to it uh everyone who's listening but it's basically like it looks to be like a like a a purpose-built kind of dream situation with like solar panels on the roof and gardens everywhere and um is that a real thing or is that something that's is that being designed from the ground up or is that something that you guys are are looking to to purchase so that project actually ended up not happening but it came really really close um so it like it was a developer who partnered with us and went through the whole pro they bought a piece of land and then went through the whole process of getting like many millions of dollars in investment and figuring it out and ultimately due to some like complications around zoning and stuff like that didn't happen um but it was kind of a a good trial run of like this thing is almost ready for prime time um, mm. that, you know, it's, we're really, really close to, um, building something new from scratch that's specifically designed for this lifestyle. Mm. It's, it's really amazing, exciting, man. Yes. Yeah. It gets me juiced up because, um, you know, in a, in a less formalized way, me and some very good buddies have been talking for a while about, buying a whole piece of land um, and putting, you know, multiple small dwellings on it or one, you know, one big shared space. Um, but the idea of, you know, I really want to talk to you about the the, the idea of community um, gifting and sharing and the shared economy. I had Charles Eisenstein on the on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, yeah, his his main thesis is around the fact that, you know, the whole money economy is such a, you know, such a, I guess, a recent invention for humanity. And, you know, we could be living in a world where we trade skills for skills, passions for passions, avocados for apples. Um, so what do, you, what do you think about that kind of uh, system um, operating within what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, I'm familiar with his work and many years ago had sort of a pet research project around um, complementary currencies and alternative economics and, you know, what does it take? It was sort of after the financial collapse of 2008, um, started researching like, well, this isn't working. So what are, what else is out there? And came, came along, uh, found similar stuff to what Charles had discovered and ultimately came to the conclusion that a lot of these ideas were really dependent on adoption so like you you know you can come up with alternative currencies all day but until people start using it it's not actually valuable and so there's a 
a, ch a challenge in getting pe people to actually use the systems um, because it's all possible and it's all pretty exciting. And so um, what's interesting to me about creating communities is there's a lot of trust inherent in living with 15 other people and mm -hmm. you have really strong relationships. And a lot of the work in, in, when you get into sort of the theory of, of money, it's essentially a trust brokering system. Mm. So if I trust that you're going to follow through on um, trading back, if I trade you a massage and then say, cool, see you tomorrow and I'll trade you back for handyman services. Yeah. Um, if you're just a totally random person off the street, I don't necessarily trust that you're going to just walk away and rip me off and never come back. So it's in creating more and more trust in the community. Mm. We're actually getting wealthier by having stronger relationships that can result in better collaborations and like mm. more long-term um, wealth building together. Yeah. That's so, awesome. so for me, this is kind of a, a bootstrap into being able to build alternative or new, more effective financial models or non-monetary exchange models because you have the foundation, the mm. soil of strong relationships among mm. people. Yeah, man, that's, that's really cool. Like, I, I just want to reference um, a documentary that I watched uh, a couple of years ago. If you haven't watched it, uh, you should. It's called Happy. And yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Cool. So for anybody that hasn't seen it, it basically traces a whole bunch of different people in different parts of the world, and it's really getting to the core of what makes people happy. And, you know, our, our, our society, our culture basically kind of lies to us uh, about what makes us happy and tells us that it's security and it's choice and it's wealth, um, when actually it's none of those things. Um, and what they found out was that um, things like Things like, of course, like basic healthcare and, and being able to uh, provide for you and your family, of course, it's like the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need that stuff. But once you get beyond that stuff, the, the power of community, and they studied, they, they, they showed like these little old ladies living in Japan who would just like hang out and laugh and tell each other jokes all the time, and they're like 100 years old. And then they talked about um, community living. I think it was either Denmark or Norway. I always get them mixed up. Um, but they've got like a very progressive uh, co-living uh, system over there where people are living in, the, in these apartments that are part of a, a larger thing and they have shared gardens, they grow vegetables, they eat meals together, they're on a cooking rotor, but they, they also like babysit for each other as well. So there's like a, a sort of a childcare facility as well. And it just seemed to me like um, just with the removal of the burdens of life that's that's what this community village thing um, was was doing. Um, so where where do you? I mean, for you, I know that right now you're focused on 25 to 30 year old creative, independent, entrepreneurial people. But what happens when these people mature, Jay? Like, like when they have kids, um, you know, what happens then? Oh yeah, I I, I think that um, there are all sorts of follow up. Um, models for community living later in in farther stages of life, and I, I'm I'm starting to max out <laughs> our age group, yeah. um, and you know my sister is potentially moving nearby, and she has a child, and 
like, yeah, it'd be so cool to have, you know, imagine 10 apartments that have a shared living room and like a amazing playroom together and parents like buy all their toys to get kids don't care, which, you know, they don't necessarily know and teach them sharing of toys. Right. So it can share toys together. You can share childcare. So you can have like a childcare, um, you know, work trade thing where once a week you watch the kids and then your neighbors watch the kids and you're basically raising your kids together and, you know, the kids get it, you know, instead of getting the baggage of one set of parents, they get a baggage of 10 sets of parents. <laughs> Fully, but think about the evolution of the child. Like, think about the wisdom they're getting from multiple elders. And yeah. Think no, about, it's am- like, it's amazing. Oh, th- and think about the burden that's been lifted from the mother and the father. And just the, just that feeling of relief that they can leave their child in the hands of a, of a neighbor who's also a friend. And then they're not shelling out a hundred bucks a day on childcare and oh, and yeah. like paying some 14 year old girl to, to babysit it's, it's, it just totally. seems to me like what humans are supposed to be doing like we're supposed yeah. to be helping each other right yeah, we're, yeah. we're supposed to be learning off elders and our neighbors and we're supposed to oh it's just yeah it, it gets me excited man i just yeah. it, it gets me really excited and it makes yeah, me want to set something up in australia yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's. I think I think we're going to be seeing more and more and more of this. Since we've started two years ago, there's just more and more stuff popping up where people are doing it. And I think real estate is such a conservative industry, so no one wants to develop something that hasn't been created before. And so we're kind of in the early stages of, and not even not really the early stages. We're in the sort of second stages of showing like this is a real thing and people really want it and there's a huge demand for it and it's amazing and oh by the way it's actually better financially than regular real estate and once that kind of tipping point happens Mm. i think we'll potentially see a lot more of this because right now a lot of the community living projects are all independently uh developed and financed like co-housing in the u.s is all a passion project where 10 usually aging boomers come together and put all their nest eggs together and say, Hey, let's buy a plot of land and build a co-housing community. Um, but no one's really been approaching it professionally. There's a couple groups that are slightly more like consulting firms that help these groups, but no one's really essentially coming in and saying, Hey, there's, there's a lot of people who want this. Maybe we should just start building it. Um, mm. so yeah, man, it's awesome. So, so let's talk about some of the nitty gritty around the finances. Like how, how does it work for what you guys have set up? Like who owns the properties? Um, and are there like, yeah, who owns the properties? Well, so once you get into the business model layer, it actually is like relatively straightforward and is we've, we've structured it to be as similar to regular real estate as, possible while maintaining the cultural uh, purity, if you will. Um, And so basically there's like each property has like investors who put in equity and then there's a loan and open doors, the manager. And um, there's various different flavors of that that have like, you know, you can play with the, um, 
structures a little bit in terms of like property management, ownership, asset management, stuff like that. Um, gets gets pretty technical, but um, yeah, basically you have like essentially real estate investors and and then Open Door as like an an operating company and and sort of part of that pie um, who would put a building together and then residents who pay rent. So it's a rental model. Um, long-term, we're definitely looking toward how we can build ownership structures where mm-hmm. residents can plug in, but there are a lot of legal uh, challenges to that currently. Yeah, I can imagine. Like what, like for when people want to sell and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay, so, so right now it's a rental thing. So people just pay a flat flat rental um so basically so let's just play it out so if i'm joe blogs and i come across one of your properties and i'm like awesome this is exactly what i want to do in life um and i send you an email and i say hey i'm i'm keen to get involved um what's the next step then we're like cool you should talk to uh sally at that house that you're interested in living in because she runs the she's one of the residents and she handles um incoming requests and like she'll let you know if there's a room open so we generally speaking we try not to um be too heavy-handed with uh with placement so we allow the residents to uh make selections about who they live with because it's a very intimate thing um so, so we try to facilitate the the residents in making choices for for who they live with, and then we sort of have like a final stamp of approval. Cool. So there's sort of like a selection process that's run by the the residents. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because you don't you don't want like some outside person saying, no. like, "Oh, by the way, this is uh, Frank. You're going to be living with him now, and you've never met him before." Yeah. And you know, because there's a lot of people that apply. The Bay Area has a very uh, the hot rental market there's a lot of people who want to live here it's expensive here, and so yeah. there's a lot of competition just to live anywhere um and i think yeah. there's additional interest in community living so yeah. and what about privacy so so for myself like i think like i fit the i'm an actual i'm an actual introvert but i love hanging out with people but i get but when i you know time alone is absolutely fundamental <laughs> for my life yeah um, can i get this um living at an open door place yeah i mean generally speaking people have their own rooms yeah. so if you want to retreat you can just go back to your room um and there are a lot of down there's a lot of downtime as well like you know on uh, you might go into the house on a thursday night or a friday night and there's community dinner happening and there's a cello concert and it's like totally happening and there's a bunch of guests and it's like a total party atmosphere or you might show up on a Tuesday at 2 PM and you're like, what community? I, there's no one here because everyone's out doing stuff or at work or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at any given time, it, you, there's a lot of solitude that you can find just on a, on a regular day. Um, but yeah, just kind of retreating to your own room. And we have also, if we had our druthers in terms of designing the space, uh, in a bespoke manner, we would not only have big shared common spaces like the main kitchen and living space and dining space, but also little nooks where 
it's it's still shared space, but it's like more of an office nook or it's more of a like chill out meditation nook or something like that. Mm. Um, it's really nice to have those little mm. auxiliary common spaces so that if there's a big party going on and you don't want to be a part of it, then you can just hang out in this little spot and like hang out with two or three friends or by yourself. Awesome, awesome man. Sounds great. So basically, uh, Jay, give us a, um, a way that people can learn more about this. So what's your website? So our website is opendoor.io. There's another company called Opendoor that has opendoor.com. We're friends with them. They're very cool. Yeah. Um, but we're opendoor.io. Yeah. And there's a fair amount of information on our website. There's a bunch of articles, uh, some of which we've linked to. Other stuff you can just search for. There are, the articles are relatively accurate. We usually get portrayed as like tech housing, which is super not true. Um, people just sort of assume Bay Area plus innovative housing concept equals tech housing. Uh, but that's not the case. <laughs> so right. some of the articles are like less accurate than others. But yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And if somebody wanted to set something up themselves, whether it was you know, something similar or something, you know, identical in another country, then what, what kind of advice would you give them to get the ball rolling? Um, well, you should go to coliving.org, which is a website that we kind of support and help out with, uh, which is sort of the movement building website of co-living. And you can put your house on the map and like find other people who are doing co-living and connect with them. And there's also a co-living Facebook group which if you just sort of search for um, and get in there and then like introduce yourself and people, you can talk to other people who uh, have houses. That's a really great way to get connected. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say like a lot of, we see a lot of independent groups um, spend a lot of time trying to get the group figured out before they have a property in place. And like get clear on their values and their intentions and all this stuff, it ends up feeling a little heavy-handed. So our approach is more to like find a couple people who are really tight, have a really solid friendship, and are excited to do a project together, and then go out and like try to find a pro- a property. And then once you have the property in play, then start building the community and um, don't try to have everything figured out before you move in. Like part of the fun is exploring that together and creating what your vision is. And, and you need to do some of that up front to make sure that it's a, it's a good fit. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. That's great advice. Just great advice. Kind of like do it, don't have any too many preset uh, notions, see how it rolls because each group is going to be different. Um, yeah, that, that, that seems like very, very practical advice. Yeah, I think there's a real movement going on in Australia, partly driven by outrageous property costs, but also just this general drive to, I guess, go back to natural human ways, whether that's manifested in permaculture or manifested in a meditation practice or um, some sort of minimalism or rewilding type of philosophy. I really feel like there's this uh, maybe, yeah, global movement going on. And uh, yeah, there's there's a, a few friends have got involved in something called the, the village farm, which is which is local to me, and and that's basically a, a land based permaculture based initiative. I don't think people are actually living there at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think there's going to be more and more of this awesome stuff. Um, so what I'd say to listeners mm-hmm. is, um, 
yeah feel free to to, to get in touch with myself um can i can i let people get in touch with you jay if they got like uh questions to ask yeah um you can the best thing is just to email hello at opendoor.io cool and that, that'll basically go to me cool man um cool jay i really appreciate your time and uh yeah, let's let's uh, wrap it up right there. Just one final question before you sure. go, and it's something that I that I ask uh, quite a few people on the show, but it's really about your idea of flow. Like, what? How is flow manifested in your life, or what what does it mean to you in your life and your business? Flow for me is about um, enjoying the activity of doing whatever you're doing and not being totally focused on the outcome that it generates, but actually that the process of doing or being, uh, whatever the work is, is itself the reward. I I know that that's part of the definition of flow, but to me, that's like my personal experience of it. uh, I think they call that auto, auto telicity. Autotelicity, otherwise known as it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> no, Jay, it's it's autotelic. It's <laughs> yeah, man. Just have fun. Release releasing that end goal. Um, yeah, it's a it's yeah. a great point, man. Yeah, I mean the end goal is to have fun. So it's like people do all this stuff to make money so that they can have fun later. It's like, dude, just have fun doing whatever you're doing. If you make some money at it, great. But if you don't, then like at least you lived a life where you had fun. Oh, for sure, man. Cool. Boom. We'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much, Jay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jay Standish, the co-founder of opendoor.io. Yeah, the main takeaways for me are just getting excited around this idea of living as part of a tribe, living as part of a community. Uh, Me and a few buddies uh, frequently talk about setting up um, something in the countryside where we grow stuff and we help each other out and we build tree houses and basically just have an awesome time. And I guess that when we're having these conversations, we're really tuning into this kind of ideal, this... uh, this dream, maybe it's coming from like an innate state that we're not supposed to be living in isolation. Like why, why put yourself in a house where um, you've got to like transport yourself to see anybody else and if you want help, you've got to like call somebody and book them in. Like why not just live as part of a village um, where you can just all help each other out and basically be part of a community. I think that is a more natural human way to exist. So that's the main takeaway for me. And I love the idea that Jay said, you can, you can walk in on a Friday evening and there might be like a cello concert going on. Um, you can walk in another time, maybe there's like a group meditation session. You can walk in another time and it's just peace and quiet and tranquility. So these co-living spaces, I think they are going to play a huge part in our generation's future. Um, as long as you get the privacy, as long as you get, do have that space where you can retreat to, Uh, then what's the downside? I can only see upside. Um, So I can't wait to do more thinking and more talking about this with people. And if you're out there and you're listening and you're passionate about this and you want to do awesome stuff, then feel free to get in touch um, or check out the resources that Jay gave. Um, All right, guys, until next time, stay in flow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.